Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Meadow, Schmelk, you. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game, the experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Giants lose to the Chicago Bears, 19-14 in Chicago. Giants got the ball back with a chance to drive down and win the game. Couldn't do it. And we'll talk about all that and, of course, take your calls today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But before we get to all that, I want to remind you that if you subscribe to the Giants audio podcast, please note that beginning on December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will have its own dedicated podcast feed. You can begin subscribing now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platforms. Again, starting December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will no longer be available in the Giants audio podcast. Please subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast on its own independent feed. And you can still, of course, watch or listen to the show on Giants.com or on the Giants mobile app. Lance, a little bit different than the losses we've seen the last eight weeks. Is that what we're up to now? Seven weeks? Whatever it seven is. Seven straight it's, losses, yeah. yeah. Seven. Um, they, lo- they won the turnover battle. That's a step in the right direction. <laughs> they were plus one, but like the game against the Lions when they won the turnover battle, dealing with the game this year. Uh, they still lost to the Bears, and this was kind of an all-around issue type of game. Special teams had problems. Rosas, two missed field goals, one on a bad snap. He kicked the ball out of bounds on a kickoff. That gave the Bears good field position. They go down and score a touchdown on that drive. The defense gave up too many big plays again, and quite frankly, it could have been worse. Brian Broniker dropped the touchdown pass, yeah. and then they called back an Allen Robinson 60-yard catch, so could have been worse. And then offensively for the Giants, they couldn't sustain enough drives. And the Bears have a good defense. It was going to be difficult. It was difficult. Daniel Jones fortunate not to have a couple interceptions in the game. Uh, One hit uh, McKinnon, I think it was, right in the hands. He dropped it. Sterling Shepard saved the second one by tackling Kyle Fuller before he can grab an interception reading a pass. Uh, He got stripped sacked once by Khalil Mack. To me, and I know Charlie's going to call up and scream at us, that was not a Daniel Jones issue. And we've talked about plays where he has held the ball too long. That was not one. He got back. He got rid of the ball pretty quick. Khalil Mack beat a tackle off the edge and stripped the ball. I mean, that's what he does. That's why he gets paid a bajillion dollars. So you kind of put all those things together, Lance, and once again, didn't run the ball all that well. Missed opportunities, and that's kind of how you get where you are in Chicago, losing the game 1914. Yeah, reoccurring issues, John. Uh, that's where it really came down to. I think the positive is the fact that you held an opponent under 20 points for the second time this season because the Redskins was the only other game where they held an opponent under 20 and Redskins scored three. They wound up winning that game. Why? Well, the offense put up 24 points and unfortunately the Giants could only muster 14 points themselves. But you felt, despite the fact that the defense gave up some explosive plays, you're still within striking distance and still a manageable chance at the end of the game after Golden Tate had that touchdown if you could put together something on offense, you know, maybe get within striking distance of the red zone. And unfortunately, it didn't add up to a victory. But it goes back to a lot of the things that you touched on. First of all, the Khalil Mack strip sack. Yeah, I agree. It was a bang-bang play. You can't necessarily blame the quarterback under those circumstances. What exactly is Daniel Jones supposed to do? He was in his throwing motion. Mack made a great play. Those are the opportunistic plays that has been the M.O. for Khalil Mack. Every turnover has its own story. Yeah, Mack's just We've really talked good. about that all the time. Yeah, of course. And, you know, for those who coming into the game were talking about how quiet he had been this season, I'm going to go back to don't 
just read into the numbers and look at them on an island. He's been double teamed and triple teamed, John, the entire season. And he has 40 hurries, according to Pro Football Focus. So he's he's just not getting home on a lot of these plays. Of course, he's just not finishing. But remember, he also had four forced fumbles coming into the game. Mm -hmm. And he now has his fifth, which, by the way, is tied for the most in the NFL. So don't tell me he hasn't been a disruptive player. And he actually had a one-on-one opportunity there against Nate Solder and took advantage. So, you know, you don't want to poke the bear because then the bear is going to bite back and you're going to regret it. And that's exactly what happened with respect to the Giants. With respect to your point about winning the turnover battle, well, what is that happened in the Lions game? Devon Kennard turned one of those turnovers into a touchdown. The Khalil Mack strip sack fumble gave the Bears the ball, John, on the three-yard line, and three plays later, they got a touchdown. So this goes back to, yeah, you win the turnover battle. What have you done with the turnovers? The Giants, no points on two interceptions, and the Bears had seven points off of their turnover. That's the biggest difference right there. Now, the one Ogletree interception in the end zone, it looked like a Tampa 2 when I looked at it on tape. He kind of dropped back into the middle of the field. Anthony Miller was open back of the end zone. Ogletree did a good job dropping back, getting his hands up, jumping, and making the interception. That took a touchdown off the board, or at worst, a field goal off the board if they go to kick a field goal there points off the board, in the yeah. red zone. So that's valuable. That takes or puts points off the board. Whether it's scoring points or taking points off, still a valuable play. Then you have the Julian Love interception, and... This is kind of where, to me, Lance, this game was lost a little bit because the Julian Love interception happens, and it gives the Giants the ball in Bears territory, and they come away with zero points. And the Giants in this game had four drives that started either at the 50-yard line or in Bears territory. Yep. The Giants scored once on those drives. One touchdown. One touchdown. They missed two field goals, and then they turned it over on downs. Um, in their first possession of the fourth quarter off that love interception. So you have to take advantage of these opportunities. Jabril Peppers had a nice punt return that gave them the ball deep in Bears territory at the Bears' 29-yard line, in fact. Four plays, they gained five yards. Rosas missed the field goal. So, And then they had the shank punt by O'Donnell. They got the ball at the Bears' 48-yard line. Five plays, 23 yards. Rosas misses a field goal. And one of those missed field goals was, by the way, was partially due to a poor snap by Zach Diossi. He kind of rolled it back, which throws off the timing and messes everything up. But as Rosas says after the game, he's still the guy kicking the ball. And all these things together, Lance, this team just right now, and I feel like I hate keep saying these things, but I feel like a broken record. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the game. We'll take a lot of your calls just because I feel like we're kind of saying the same thing every week, Lance, and, and, and we're getting repetitive. The Giants just aren't good enough to overcome some of these errors, self-inflicted wounds, and and things of that nature. Now, I do think they played a bit of a cleaner game. The special teams' mistakes notwithstanding, they didn't turn it over as much. There weren't as many big plays by the Bears in this game. Uh, the Giants shut down the running game. Allen Robinson had some big plays in this game. Anthony Miller had a big play in this game. Tariq Cohen was extremely uh, quiet in this game. Seven catches, just 29 yards. He did not run the ball well. Neither did the Bears overall. I thought the Giants' run defense was good. I thought their pass rush was not good. And I think if you got better pass rush, Mitch Trubisky wouldn't have thrown for 278 yards, which is for him way too many. I think that was probably a season high for him. It was a season high. 278 was a season high for him. Yeah. I mean, we going into this game, you saw Trubisky wasn't playing well. He didn't play well in this game either. I mean, what was he doing on that pass that Julian Love intercepted? Oh, my God. I don't even know what he was well, what doing. What was I it? Mean, it was basically a fly ball into center field that Love just had to put his glove under. It, didn't even, it was pop-up the shortstop. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what? <laughs> I, infield fly roll. Yeah. I mean, like I, some of these plays, like he wasn't even hitting the ball. You don't know where it's going. I mean, he's just not that 
good of a quarterback, and you still let him throw for 278. And again, it would have been over 300 if they if that play didn't get called back to 60-yard Allen Robinson. So they played a cleaner game, but frankly, and the Bears are just better team. I mean, I think top to bottom, I think the Giants had the better quarterback, and we'll talk about Daniel Jones. But, you know, just look at the Bears' defense. I mean, they're really talented. They're really talented defense. And they have good weapons. If the quarterback can get him the ball, Allen Robinson's a good receiver. Anthony Miller's a good receiver. Uh, he didn't do a lot. Taylor Gabriel's a good receiver. Yeah, he just had one catch. Exactly. No, they got weaponry they, around the quarterback. They have no doubt about it. They have a lot of speed. There's uh, a tremendous amount of versatility on the offense, and the goal is to put the ball in the hands of all those playmakers, John, and have them pick up yak yardage, which I think, you know, at times they did a really nice job of getting Anthony Miller out in open space, getting Allen Robinson, to your point, out in open space, and those guys, to their credit, made plays. There were a lot of chunk plays that the Bears put together. They didn't finish every drive, John, but they did a good job moving the ball up and down the field, which the Giants failed to do, and, and it goes back to your point. The four possessions that started from midfield or better, you had one at the 50-yard line, you had one at the Chicago 48-yard line, you had another one at the Chicago 29-yard line, and then you had another one at the Chicago 42-yard line. You can't ask for a better field position in this game, but the bottom line is there was no complimentary football in play yesterday, John. That, to me, is the best way to sum up the game. When special teams made plays, offense couldn't deliver. When the defense got stops, offense couldn't deliver. When the offense put points on the board, the defense couldn't make stops. There was nothing that or was when the offense, fitting in place together. When the offense gets stopped, they needed the kicker to kick a field goal to get yeah, points oh, on the board. There's another way to it. put it, too. Yeah, yeah. correct. Uh-huh. So, you know, no, you had you, opportunities. It just didn't add up to much production. That's the bottom line. Now, I thought Riley Dixon did a really nice job on both field goal opportunities to salvage them. Now, you're right. Timing is everything. So Dixon could salvage it, but on the it still one, threw off the timing. I thought the second snap was okay. Yeah, but I, I still think Dixon deserves credit both times sure. for not doing anything to me that would disrupt Aldrich Rosas. And the one that Diossi rolled, the fact that Dixon that even got it upright, great John, hold. is amazing. And, great hold. You know, I was talking to Jeff Fiegels yesterday on our postgame show. Yeah, I'm who, curious. What did Fiegels have to say about Well, that? I mean, Jeff pointed to the whole timing development of the play and he said that even when the punter who's the holder more often than not recovers it like Riley Dixon did it still throws off the timing Rosas is mentally prepared to be a robotic setup where he knows in the fraction of a second I think Jeff mentioned usually from snap to you know getting it set we're talking about a process that's 1.25 seconds approximately and once that's disrupted when it goes to 1.25 to 1.3 to 1.4 John you know you're going to present an opportunity to miss a field goal so you know he thought the combination of the snap and then obviously Rosas having to react to that led to both missed field goals. He also mentioned that it got to a point where mentally it was getting to Rosas because let's also not forget the kickoff to the start of the third quarter out of bounds. bounces out of bounds, and now you give the Bears great field position. And what did they do that the Giants didn't do, John? Scored a touchdown. They scored a touchdown. So that was another huge difference maker. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Rosas. He was a Pro Bowl kicker last year, John. He had a fantastic season. It's a troublesome to see it become a trend now because we're talking about five straight games in which either an extra point was missed or a field goal was missed. Six kicks 
in total. Three field goals, six extra points. Uh, three extra points, excuse me. So, you know, that's troublesome because it's one thing when it's a flash here or there, an issue here or there. This is now becoming something that's being brought up in every single game. With that being said, it's too simplistic, John, I would argue, to say that the only reason they lost the game was because of the two missed field goals. Because the reason I don't like getting into that argument, how does then decision-making change late in game depending on whether or not you no. have the three points on the board? I mean, just can you imagine how much different the Bears play their defense course, yeah. on that scoring drive in the fourth quarter if it's a one-score game and, and instead of a two-score game? The whole thing changes. So, no, it's not as simple as that. A couple of things I want to point out, Lance, before we get to the calls. I thought the Giants' offensive line was better in this game. I thought Barkley had a little bit more room to run. I thought Barkley looked more spry. He had that nice spin move to make a guy miss in the backfield. I thought he looked generally more sudden, better side to side. I think the ankle probably did get a little bit better. I thought Daniel Jones was okay in this game. I mentioned he could have two interceptions that were dropped. Uh, He had, in the game, one errant pass on a third down to Golden Tate over the middle. Uh, I thought he was protected all right. Looking at the tape, he was under pressure more than I thought he was watching it live. Uh, I think Pro Football Focus said he was under pressure on something like 34, 35% of his dropbacks. Well, Matt could have had a few other strip sacks, by the way. Yeah, he actually did a real nice job avoiding one where both Floyd and Matt came together and somehow Jones got out of it. Absolutely. So I thought the offense on was better, but still not where you want it to be. Uh, The receivers were okay. Slayton had a nice run after catch on a play. I think not having Evan Ingram kind of hurt in this game a little bit. Stowing Shepard five catches is 15 yards. And the bottom line, like I, Lance, I watched the game this morning on the coach's tape and, and on the plane ride coming home last night, which was a longer one than it should have been. And there weren't a lot of guys open deep. And I, I took a look at it real quick. I'll bring up the numbers, um, tracking in terms of distance on throws and, and how many you know throws Daniel Jones made down the field and you know things like that. And he only, I believe and I'll bring it up right here, attempted two passes that were in the air uh, for 20 or more yards in this game. And, and the one ba- was the Tate touchdown, right? Correct. That was the one that he completed. He completed one of those two. Um, the Bears, like I said, there were plays where they had good coverage downfield, and there were other ones where a guy maybe could have opened up downfield, but the Bears' pass rush got there in time. So they did complement themselves rather well. Here are the numbers. Yeah, one of two on passes of 20 or more yards in the air, and I think the Tate one was the one that got completed. On passes that traveled between 10 and 20 yards, he was just 2 of 7. So that's a lot of short passes. And going in, I said on our pregame show, I thought this was going to be a short pass game for the Giants, and it was. The problem is that they couldn't get that run after the catch yeah, that no, they yeah. got that they had gotten in, in games past. A couple times they threw it to Tate short of the sticks on a third down. He couldn't run for a first down. Uh, they got Shepard on a shallow cross on a rubber out that didn't create enough separation. Haha, Clinton Dix did a good job navigating that, that rub in the middle of the field. He couldn't run for the first down after catching, I think it was a two-yard pass on a fourth and four play in the fourth quarter. That was on that crucial turnover and downs on the Giants' first fourth quarter drive. So I thought Jones was okay. I thought he made some bad throws, made some good throws. But he was going up against a good defense, and he didn't get a lot of help from the run game. He had a nice scramble for 26 yards in the game, which was one of the best plays. I thought the Shepard end around was a really nice play design. 22 yards. They run a read option, so they fake the handoff to Barkley, and then Jones runs right. The fake handoff to Barkley was up the middle, hands it off to Shepard, who comes back around left on the end around uh, to gain 22 yards. So 
that was my general take on the offense. I thought they were, you know, they went against a good defense. They didn't, they weren't productive enough, but it wasn't. <coughs> Excuse me, I tried to hold that in. Um, thank you. Yes. Um, but I thought they were okay, but they could have been better. Well, to me, the number that jumps off the page that we didn't bring up yet, they were one for 12 on third down, yeah. John. Mm -hmm. And you look at a lot of these third downs, I don't think the down and distance was terrible. No, it wasn't. In this game. It wasn't. You had six that were for seven yards or more, and then the other six were for seven yards or less. So manageable opportunities, including two third and fours late. Uh, there was a third and one. Unfortunately, Saquon Barkley dropped the ball. You know, that easily could have been... A first down and then some who knows could have even been a touchdown if you want to speculate because in tight again that's two for two today for those of you counting well, at home I hit the and in call the studio there you didn't have to bring it well, up i just thought people well there are here. people that visually well, are watching the show i mean yes, we're not going to be that that's naive that's uh, fair. you know you don't pull uh you know a quick one on them we'll get some tweet tweet or uh, social media response anyway getting back to the uh, topic at hand as i was rudely interrupted by your uh issues one for a 12 sneeze on is third involuntary. It's, it's still, not going to do it on purpose. Well, it's, it, it's still an issue as far as I'm concerned. So one for 12 on third down. And, you know, as I ran through some of these downs and distances, I think there were certainly opportunities. The one sure. you brought up where it was a pass to Sterling Shepard, and I think he picked up one yard. They needed four. That was the rub route that you were referring to. Yeah, that was Golden on a fourth Tate. and four, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Sterling was even asked about that after the game. And, you know, he had to go back and look at the play because obviously there were so many plays. I'm sure he'll probably be able to to describe exactly what went wrong on that play, perhaps when he speaks to the media midweek. But well, I can tell you, look, they, they tried to set a screen on HaHa Clinton Dix. He went, just like in basketball, he went, he went under the screen, and he was able to close on Shepard in time before he could turn off field to, to make the first down. It was, it was a good defensive play. Look, the Giants have run that play. Well, folks, it's a real simple play. Shepard's on one side of the field, Tate's on the other, or it doesn't matter what receivers they are. They cross in the middle of the field. The goal is to get the defenders to run into each other. So one of the receivers is open, and then they catch him and they run. But it's designed to beat man-to-man -man defense. The Bears played man-to-man -man defense, but they managed to avoid the rub, which is why the play didn't work. Well, and I think that also speaks volumes to how well-disciplined the Bears' defense is, John. No, they're which good. Which is what you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah, they don't allow big explosive plays. You know, coming in, this was a defense that... You know, you'd be hard pressed to find ways to solve this group. No, there's I had no weakness. The number there's no in weakness. terms of what they were giving up. They had surrendered just seven big plays the entire season in ten games, John. Five forty plus yard passes, two twenty plus yard runs. So once again, the Bears were not giving you much to work with, which goes back to your point about you were hoping for short passes, yardage after the catch, and unfortunately it didn't come to fruition more often than not. As far as the rushing attack, while, yes, Barkley, I would argue, had some opportunities, there were other plays, though, once again, John, where I felt the minute he got the ball, we're talking about penetration in the backfield, mm -hmm. which has been an issue. For example, the one that comes to mind, I don't remember exactly what down it was, but it was a play where they had Eli Penny in, and they were out of the I formation. It was in the first and quarter. And Barkley went right. They pitched it to him right, and he didn't stand the chance, John. By the time he got the ball, oh. there were two to three defenders you're talking, right in front of yeah, him. Yeah, you're talking about a different play. That was the fourth or third and one? It was either a fourth and one or a third and one. I remember which one, but it was in the first half, and they faked the fullback dive play to Eli Penny. Yeah, it was a third and one. And this is the play that all the fans were mad about when the Giants ran earlier in the year, but they've run it successfully a few times since that failure. I think it was week one against Dallas, right? When that play failed, if I'm not mistaken. I think you may be right. So they've run it a lot, and the counter off that play is to fake the fullback dive and then pitch it out to Barkley. Well, the Bears, I first of all, I don't remember the Giants running that play successfully this year yet or running it at all, especially in third or fourth and short this season. Again, I haven't gone back and double-checked every play, but I don't recall it. 
watching all the games on tape like I do every week. But the Bears are ready for it. The Giants had run that in years past. It's it's a play that's common in that system. And it was, I believe, Leonard Floyd and I think Eddie Jackson that stayed outside. Uh, they did not fall for the fake up no, the middle. not at all. And they played great contain on it. Then there was a play earlier. This is the play I thought you were going to reference. Uh, it was a, I think it was a third and two on the Giants' first. It might have been the first play of the game, actually. And the Giants had Eli Penny in the backfield with Barkley. They run it. Eddie Jackson is a blitzer off the edge. Nobody picks him up, and he nails Barkley for a five-yard loss. I think the fact their first play from yes. scrimmage was a five-yard uh, loss Now I remember the, run the game. exact play. Yeah, it was. Barkley yeah. for five. And I think Barkley. Howard and Carl talked about this during the game on the radio broadcast, and I think there's something to it. One thing I don't think a lot of people appreciate about Eli Manning was his ability to get in and out of the right plays pre-snap. And I think that's still something that Daniel Jones is getting used to. You don't see as many machinations with him pre-snap like you used to see with Manning, always changing plays, moving guys around. Not to say he's not reading the defense and making audibles and making changes, but you don't see it as often, And which is not surprising. He's a rookie quarterback. You grow into that type of role, right? So I think sometimes there are plays like that where you know based on your play call there's going to be an unblocked defender. And that just happens sometimes. If the defense dials up the right scheme against your play and just the way your blocking scheme is set up, you might have an unblocked defender. And if that's the case, such on that play, it's the quarterback's job to get out of that play. And again, I don't know what the play call is. I don't know what Jones is doing. Again, this is just what Carl and Howard talked about in the radio broadcast, and those guys know a lot more about this sort of in-game management and play calling and audibles than I do. So I think that's something else to kind of keep an eye on, uh, whether or not his inexperience as a starting cornerback shows up in some of that pre-snap stuff. Yeah, the things that Eli easily picked up that perhaps he hasn't been exposed to as often as Eli did. No rookie's doing that, by the way. It's not just Daniel. No well, rookie. and I'd also be curious, not that Pat Shermer's going to reveal this, but how much leeway and flexibility is given to the quarterback, John, in those circumstances? Good question. Like, can he change to any play? Can he only change to one play? Can he go run the pass? Or can he just change to a different run? I don't know the answers to those questions yeah, either. But I think that that information is important when you have a conversation related to that. You know, it goes back to context. One other thing that I wanted to throw out quickly, which also just goes to show you your point about the Giants just not being effective enough in overcoming self-inflicted wounds or you know, mistakes coming back to bite them. Right before Allen Robinson's touchdown, it's third and ten. Marcus Golden sacks Mitchell Trubisky, and Janoris Jenkins is, whole, is called for a defensive hold, which gives the Bears a fresh set of downs. Right call, by the way. Keeps the drive alive. Yeah, I'm not disputing the call. It's just another example of you make the stop, John. You get the offense off the field. And then it comes back to bite you because of an issue on the back end. And this goes also to the conversation of the lack of complementary football, even within one facet of the team. The secondary not complementing the front. The front not complementing the secondary. And those penalties and mishaps coming back to bite them. couple interesting things in terms of playtime percentage. Sam Beal played around 30% of the snaps. He split snaps on that side of the field with DeAndre Baker. Both guys played pretty well. Didn't give up a lot of catches. Beal did give up that 60-yard to Robinson that came back on the penalty, but that does not go on his ledger because the play never happened because of the penalty. So both he and Baker actually played well. They didn't really throw at Baker much, I think once or twice only over the course of the game, and they didn't throw a Beal much either. Uh, they were too busy throwing a Corey Ballantyne, who had, a, say that. Yeah. who had a rough day at the office trying to cover Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson, depending on the play, and he had a little trial by fire in the slot there. So we got to see, you know, cornerbacks, you got to be able to forget. We got to see how he comes back and then plays in the following game. We got Julian Love. 
uh, a lot in this game. He was the third safety to start the game. Then when Jabril Peppers left with his injury, and we'll have an injury report on him on Pe- and, and, and Tate in just a second. Um, he played well. I'm not going to give him too much credit for the interception because he kind of just stood there and he threw it right at him. That was a gift. <laughs> threw yes. it right at him. Well, but a play that you should make. Correct. But he was never out of position. You never saw, boy, he took a bad angle there. He wasn't in the right spot. And he was deep. He was at the line of scrimmage. He was in the slot. He was in the box. He was all over the place. So I thought Julian Love did pretty well. Uh, in his limited minutes. Get to the injury report real quick. Jabril Peppers, he left the game with a hip. He actually has a fractured transverse process. That is the same injury that Matthew Stafford is dealing with at the quarterback position. If you remember back in the day, uh, before the Giants played Dallas, Tony Romo had that a few times. It's called a broken back, but it's these little small bones. Yeah, that, broken bones in the back. That that you yeah. can, it's not your broken spine, obviously, but they're smaller bones that you can play through. They say it's not a season eight injury for Peppers. We'll see how long uh, that's going to be. And Golden Tate apparently uh, suffered a concussion in the game. So that's something that they'll take a look at this week. They'll put him to protocol, and they'll see if he can come back out and play versus the Packers. Yeah, Tate suffered the concussion on the touchdown. His head hit the ground. the hard. Giants... Yep revealed and Shermer did not rule out peppers for the season said it really comes down to pain tolerance however with that being said I know we're here to recap the game but just looking ahead to the Packers game there's a chance and perhaps a strong possibility the Giants are not going to be without their top two return men so that uh, is going to change the dynamics of special teams Boy, how good entering the, this Sunday how good the peppers look on that punt return by yeah the way. it was oh, a huge man. play he got up yeah. field and he's a boom yeah, you wish you could figure out ways to use him more there. Well, and remember, it was this week that when he spoke to the media, John, he made it clear. He said, "I'm going to be back there." So that was something they discussed coming out of the bye that they're yeah. going to put their veterans back there, and they did. Both Tate and Peppers were the return guys. Now, in all likelihood, Thomas Begay, he's going to have to turn to the youth movement again because of the injuries. Latimer too is another option. Latimer I'm, is I'm, another I'm one. Kick yeah. at least, but on punts, yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to figure that out. I mean, you could theoretically go Sterling Shepard there. He knows how that's to catch that, the ball. But do you want to expose him to additional hits now that he's back from a concussion? I think that's a fair question. All right, 201-939-4513. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Also want to remind folks that Big Blue Kickoff Live has its own separate podcast feed now. So find it on your favorite podcast platform. Search for Big Blue Kickoff Live. It'll pop up. Subscribe to that. Um, starting December 1st, it will not be found any longer on the Giants audio podcast feed. It has its own separate feed. That's live right now, so make sure you go and subscribe. Kevin and Piscataway will lead us off today. Kevin, how are you? Thank you for taking my call, guys. Thanks for calling in. What's uh, up? Very disheartening uh, performance yesterday. Uh, last year, it seemed like the team made progress as the year went on. It doesn't really seem like they're getting better as this season is going on. As you guys said in the Open, it's kind of the same story every week. Uh, and frankly, when this team, when Gettleman and Shermer took over, two, pretty much two years now, it doesn't seem like they've made any progress with their roster really either. If anything, they might be worse. Now look, I do think, and Pat Shermer made this point today on his, on his conference call with the media, that I do think you're seeing progress from individuals especially the younger guys as they get better throughout the year the problem is that it has not been reflected in victories and I think you know Kevin a larger issue here I don't think a lot of people have talked much about it when you're gonna play a lot of young guys right you need the veteran established stars on your team to carry you a little bit in spots and to be really good players and the guys coming into this year that you expected to be really good players for the Giants either haven't done it 
they've been hurt a lot or both. And I think when you get that combined with, you know, young guys making young guy mistakes, that's kind of how you get where we are. Yeah, and I also think the veteran additions that were brought in, obviously, really outside of Marcus Golden, maybe Tate as well. There's a lot of I mean, Tate's been really good. Ogletree was a bad trade. The Leonard Williams trade is baffling, you know, at this point. I mean, does Gettleman just, like, eat his boogers in his office all day and make these random trades? It's just... Well, the sample size for Leonard Williams is very small. So, I mean, there's really not a lot to go by with respect to the evaluation of that. And and as far as the, uh, you know, draft picks are concerned, we don't know what would become of those draft picks. Remember, the, the whole point of making a trade like that is you take... The land of the unknown, which is a draft pick, and you turn it into a player who you've had an opportunity to evaluate, who has had plenty of reps already in the NFL, and you project that they can bring that talent and that skill set to the Giants and be productive. Has Leonard Williams exploded with stats? No. That has not been the case thus far. But once again, I don't know, John, if there's enough to say that we can already claim they're not getting a good enough return. Here's the problem, though. That was always going to be the issue with the trade because... Did Leonard Williams ever explode with stats when he was with the Jets except for one year? No, not at all. And he was, you know, never a big sack guy to begin with. So if that's what the whole point of a fan evaluating Leonard Williams is saying, well, where are the sacks? Well, then you didn't really watch what he did with respect to the Jets and everything. I mean, the point is for him to help to collapse the pocket, provide pressure. And sometimes those things don't necessarily show up from a statistical standpoint. And I thought he did it. There was one drive in that game where he made an impact. He kind of, you know, collapsed the pocket a couple times. But no, look, if you're looking for... You know, Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald sack plays. production. Guys, look, he he was in the league for a long time. He didn't do it a whole lot. So uh, the thing is just going to start now. Mark in Chicago. Mark was at the game, I know. I'm sure he did not have fun. Mark, what's up? Oh, I had a great time. <laughs> I had a great time. All the beer season ticket holders around me were saying they'd much rather have uh, Daniel Jones and Mitch Trubisky. Oh, that is so. true, and, and I, I think they're correct. Yeah. Um, John, I wanted to come back and sort of re, you know talk about what I talked about on Friday, sure. um, on what I wanted to see, and on defense we saw exactly what I wanted to see. We have Love, Beal, Ballantyne, and Baker all uh, in there, and it was great to see. I think overall they played pretty well. Ballantyne sort of took a beating, but you know that happens. And you know there's one point where I said to my son, "Hey, we got three rookies lined up here." And they held, uh, they blocked the play from them scoring a touchdown. So I think they played pretty well. I was actually Love played free safety on that last drive before the halftime, and then they took him out when the Bears got into the red zone and he ultimately kicked the field goal. But I thought that he played very well, and I'm glad to see that they're out there. And yeah, they're going to make mistakes, but let them grow and learn. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. whole purpose, to get the young guys as much reps as possible yeah. because they're not going to learn from watching on the sideline. So I would right. agree with that take. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, on the offensive side, I have a lot of problems. And you guys were talking about the team not being good enough to overcome mistakes. And I just think that the coach needs to help them out by not making some coaching mistakes. And, I, you know, John, going back to what I said on Friday, I wanted to see something different on offense where we were doing some rollouts, you know, they ran some reverses. They did this all in the second quarter on the drive that they scored the touchdown. And then what was their adjustment at halftime? They never went back to those types of plays. 
Well, I mean, gen- quarter, I mean, Mark, generally, first- though, you, are, you aren't going to run multiple end arounds and multiple trick plays with the same design in the same game. You know what I mean? They like, become predictable. No, well, Those are kind of one-off type of deals. I, I'm not saying you're going to run them all the time, but at some point you've got to shake it up a little bit because we were basically in the same offense the entire second half. And we didn't do anything to take the Bears off their game. And the Bears, like you said, they have a great defense. And we didn't do anything to make them change their thinking about what we were going to run. And by the way, that was a fourth down play where they ran, they threw that toss out to um, Barkley, mm-hmm. where he got tackled for a five-yard loss. And I was pretty upset with that because I wanted like a quarterback sneak. They had the fullback in there. I wanted something more straight ahead rather than that. But well, anyway, they yeah, have not they have the not run the thing, ball very effectively up the middle, though, Mark. In fairness, okay, <laughs> the numbers back that I, up. I understand that, but you know, we didn't run a quarterback sneak all day. I, you know, I, I was just looking for something different, and that's a matter of opinion. Now, I'll say the last thing. I want to talk about special teams, mm-hmm. and this isn't about the missed field goals. This was when the Bears substituted for their um, their. Oh, that's team. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen the Bears run that three or four times because I live in Chicago, and I never could figure out why they were doing it. And they did it exactly for the reason of how the Giants reacted. The Giants didn't substitute. They were confused. Jenkins didn't even line up in the middle of the field. They kicked it away from him. He didn't want to catch the punt. I don't think he's been back for a punt all year. And the ball ends up at the six-yard line. And to me, when Shermer says we played that the way that we wanted it, you know, you know, no disrespect, my BS meter went up because, you know, they were unprepared for that, and I don't even know if they well, scouted that. No, Mark, see, that, that's wrong. Because in the post-game press conference, he said they literally practiced it yeah. during the week because they, like you, they knew that the Bears had run that play. So he said that in the post-game presser, and frankly, if Janoris and look, I, I agree, you can make the substitutions there. They didn't do it, but maybe wrongly. They had confidence that Janoris Jenkins, who does, we watch catch punts all summer in training camp. He does it all summer. He does it all mm-hmm. the time. He sits back there and he catches punts. Mm-hmm. If he actually catches the ball at the 20 or 25-yard line where it bounces, then we're not having the conversation. So, um, right. I, now whether he was directed and he just, whether that's a coaching or a player thing, my sense is that the player should, if he's in there to be the safety return guy, he should know how to catch the punt, Right. right? So, right. look, to me, yeah, look, I'm with you, though, and, and, and thanks for the call. It's a good point. And I understand from your perspective why you would look at it from that perspective. Well, I get it. they were in a safety punt alignment, essentially. I mean, that was the unit that was in there. Pat Shermer did mention that, John, after the game. But to me, it's not just Janoris Jenkins catching the football. It's also a matter of him, if he blocks Cordaro Patterson, John, then Patterson doesn't have an opportunity to run back and make a heck of a special teams play. I mean, Patterson deserves a lot of credit. He made significant key contributing special teams plays that, you know, change field position in this game. But I think another part of that play is not just Jenkins perhaps thinking about making the fair catch and then it doesn't bounce behind him, but also being in a position to block Patterson. Because let's not forget, if Patterson doesn't make that hustle play and save it from going into the end zone, it's a touchback. And then we're not even talking about this right now in terms of it being perhaps a key turning point moment within the game. So, you know, it goes back to the lack of execution as opposed to perhaps a team being ill-prepared. I think every time something goes wrong, the quick 
reaction is, well, the team wasn't prepared. They didn't pick up on it on film. And and I agree with Mark. The Bears have done. I've seen games where Matt Nagy has done this. You know, that's part of the Kansas City school of thought where he comes with Andy Reid. They like to try to catch teams off guard. I actually think, and I had this conversation with Jeff Eagles on the postgame, I think also the Bears may have been thinking about trying to get the Giants to waste their time out under those circumstances, too, if memory serves yeah. me correct. Mm-hmm. I or, think they may have had one timeout left. I could be mistaken. Or, I, I'd or, have to look back. Or draw them off sides, maybe, too. Yeah, something to that nature, things. yeah. And, and as far as say. the full substitution... I think the Giants were actually out of timeouts. They may have been yeah. out of timeouts. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't remember. I, I may have been having this conversation. Yes, they were, they were, so out, they were out of timeouts. Yes, okay, correct. so then yes. forget that. That definitely wasn't a part of the game plan. But I think also if you're the Giants, while the likelihood of the Bears going for it on fourth and two from their own 33 is very, very low, you still need to be prepared that they could do that. So that's why they went with, once again, the safety punt unit, which is a combination of special teams slash defensive personnel. Now, the person on the field was their defensive personnel, though. That's yeah, but, but Jenkins, my, my point is Jenkins, who has worked on special teams units. He should be capable of yeah, catching it, that. It's punt. not as if yes. you're exposing Janoris Jenkins to a baptism by fire type of mentality. Hey, do something we've never asked you to do. Well, and clearly that was how they decided they wanted to handle it during the week. So they must have had confidence that Jenkins would make the right decision and, and, and catch that ball. I think the ball bounced between the 20 and 25, right? It did. But the other part of it was then Patterson's coming towards Jenkins. And Jenkins, to me, has an opportunity to prevent Patterson from taking a great angle to save the ball and down it. Right. That's the other aspect. Because of the if, play. if he's he slowed down just by a yard or two, it's going into the it's end zone. It's going into the end zone. It's Correct. a touchback. It's and we're point. not even talking about this. They get the ball to 25 and end the story. So that's a big part of evaluating how that play played out. Let's go to Ryan in Virginia. He's up next. Hey, Ryan. Hey, what's going on, fellas? How y'all doing? Doing all right, man. What's up? Not much, man. Um, a guy hit a uh, caller earlier. Hit on a point I wanted to make earlier about the um, the play of the young guys, Bill, Love, and um, and Baker. It's really good to see them get out on the field. And um, I know Love kind of got that lame duck interception, but it's just um, just going forward, it's good to see all all three of those guys on the field with Valentine. Obviously, um, I heard I was listening to it on on Fox yesterday. And uh, one of the commentators made a really good point about cornerback is one of the toughest um, toughest positions to transition to. Yeah. And usually it takes about uh, two to three years hmm. for a young guy to, to grasp, um, you know, uh, the position of cornerback in the NFL. Valentine, um, they were picking on him a little bit yesterday. Um, but like I said, I'm going to stay positive. Um, it's a learning experience coming from a D2 school, being thrown um, in the fire, especially against guys like Andre Miller and especially Robinson, who are really good, talented receivers. Um, I'm going to put on my, my GM um, cap here sure. and um, want to get you guys' feedback on if if I was Gettleman, what I would do in the, in the offseason. Just depending on you know what pick that we get, honestly, I think it will probably be a top 10, maybe top 5 if we, uh, if we don't get our act together a little bit. But um, I, are we still looking at about 60 to $70 million in cap? In cap space, yeah, give or take. Uh, give or take. Okay, so um, what I would do uh, first and foremost, I would get Leonard Williams resigned. Um, get rid of who? I'm Martin sorry, Golden, get uh, Leonard Williams um, resigned. Yeah, he said. Say that again. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. No, I was just clarifying what you had said. You uh, you mentioned about re-signing Leonard Williams, correctly? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go um, ahead. Re-signing yeah. Leonard Williams. I believe Marcus Golden has played his way into another contract, and. Um, I think on the on the offensive side, I really would take a look at um, 
upgrading the center position and um, looking at on the tackle side a Daryl Johnson or a um, Jack Conklin um, to fortify the tackle position. And just depending on how much money is being spent there, I don't want to go to reach route, throw all the money at the wall, spend all of our um, all of our money we have in cap space. Um, I think we should do you know, half to two thirds of the cap space, and maybe um, looking at a Joe Schobert uh, or Corey Littleton from um, from the Rams um, the, to match with um, Connolly on our on our um, inside linebackers, and then on the draft, I would I would go um, edge rusher, and then the second pick maybe fortify our um, secondary a little bit, and then with a compensatory third pick. Um, maybe go back um, and add an additional um, linebacker. So I uh, appreciate you guys. Like I said, I'm from Virginia, um, so I look forward to hearing you guys um, every day. So I'd love to get some feedback, especially on the on my on my GM cap. So I, Got I, it. I'll let you guys take it from there. Thank, Thank you. you, Ryan. Appreciate right. it. Um, you went really far down the road there um, in terms of looking ahead, which is fine. Um, one, I, from what I'm being told, aside from Chase Young, there's probably not a top 10 edge rusher in this draft. So Unless you're getting him, which you might need the first overall pick to do that, it's hard to, to put that in there. I'm always one to say draft guys at the premium position. So cornerback, offensive tackle, pass rusher, quarterback, because those guys, Lance, as we've seen, are always very expensive in free agency, and they're hard to find. Uh, I think some of the positions he targeted are, are good positions to target. Uh, might you want to look for an upgrade at center? Yeah, maybe. I think Jalapeo is fine, but you can always look for an upgrade. Inside linebacker is a good spot. I do think it's very important for the team to get younger at offensive tackle. And I think, I and look, Jack Conklin's not an old player. He's coming off his rookie contract. Why the heck did the Titans not pick up his fifth-year option? I mean, seriously. Like, that, like, you don't just let good young tackles walk away. That's not how this league works. People don't do that. So... I'd really like to know why they did not pick his fifth-year option up. Because to me, that was really, really odd. Well, I think it goes back to you got to do your homework. You got to do your research. Just because he's a young guy doesn't mean you have to invest in him. There may be something more that you know the Titans know that clearly the rest of the league is unaware of. I would agree with you. I think they do have to get younger. I, I think maybe Nick Gates is in the conversation, depending on you know whether or not they want to develop him at that position and also go the route of the draft. But you know to speculate on you know who's going to be available in the third round and the second round at this point, I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves. And I will bring out my draft show point that I make all the time when we do shows in March and April. You don't draft positions. You draft players. Yeah, correct. So we also don't know who's going to be on the board and you may say the Giants need an edge rusher. The Giants may not be enamored with that position. So it really defeats the purpose. As far as the larger point that the caller was alluding to, and I've said this multiple times, Dave Gettleman cleaned up what Jerry Reese had done in 2016. I would be surprised if he then goes out on a humongous spending spree again, which is what the Giants did in 2016. I could see him spending a lot of money, no, but I, I can, think but it will be spread out a little bit more exactly. without so much large guaranteed money going to a couple of guys. Yeah, meaning that you're not going to take, to me, all your money and lock it up with three players, for example. Correct. I think there's wider roster issues that need to be addressed. To address not just the starters, but address the bench too. Uh, Leonard Williams, if you went out and acquired him, you know, there clearly is going to be somewhat of a priority to retain his rights because you gave up assets for that. So that's part of the money that you'd have to utilize. Marcus Golden, I would agree with the caller. I think he's been very productive. 
and you hope that it continues to go that way the rest of the season. And I think his play does warrant another contract if they feel he's a good fit for the Giants. He seems to be returning to full health, and he's been productive. He's been by far their best pass rusher. So, you know, that's somebody that I think you have to entertain bringing back. It'd be nice to bring in, though, a compliment to him, John, because I go back to, as Arizona days, he had Chandler Jones playing opposite him, and that's a nice luxury to have. Now he's the guy, and he needs somebody else to force the defense, the offense, excuse me, to take some playmakers and draw attention to the other guy so he has some favorable one-on-one matchups. Yeah, to me, he's Leonard Floyd. Yeah. But you don't have a Khalil Mack yet. So can you go out and get a Khalil Mack to then bring out even more production out of Marcus Golden? Right, exactly. 201-939-4513. Brian, let's go to line two and say what's up to Dennis in California. Dennis, what's up? Hey, I'm just checking with you guys. I'm, I'm sure, obviously, it's been talked about quite a bit as far as your quarterback situation. Um, I just wanted to point out that I don't remember, you know, the setting down of Eli Manning. I don't remember any other team ever doing that with a veteran quarterback during the season. Um, unless you could refresh my memory. I don't well, remember any. Well, well Kurt Warner was sat down. It's always at the Eli. end of the season, you know, where they're having a quarterback that's getting – up in age and, you know, just not productive anymore. But uh, I don't remember any team ever doing that to their quarterback during the season. No, I mean, so look, I, it's when, I mean, when teams draft high draft picks, they don't always put them in right away. And, and, and you'll see them inserted at any point during the year, depending on, on what the, who the player is and, <laughs> and what the team you're looking for. So I don't think that was necessarily that odd. I was surprised based on how the team had talked about it in the offseason that it happened that quickly. I think, you know, we all kind of talked about that a lot. But I, I do think it's funny. Again, this doesn't mean it was the wrong decision, and that's not the point I'm trying to make. But everyone after the first two losses of the year thought going away from Eli Manning was going to solve all these teams' problems. And, oh, it's fixed now. You go, you've changed your quarterback. You're going to be fine. I think what we've seen is that the problems ran a lot deeper than just the quarterback position, which is kind of the point that we were trying to make all along. Well, and I can, yeah, give, I you, I can give you another example, actually, because I was doing research on this. Jake Cutler... Uh, took over Jake Plummer in 2006 with the Denver Broncos, and the Broncos actually had a winning record, and they made the unpopular decision, Mike Shanahan, to go in the direction of Jake Cutler. So there's an example of a rookie, didn't start from the beginning of the season, mid-year, all of a sudden replaces a veteran who helped his team post a winning record. Kurt Warner was benched in favor of Eli Manning going back to 2004. That would be another example. I would agree with you, Dennis, it's rare, but we're not entering necessarily uncharted territory, which is the way the Giants went this season. Yeah, I just my observation was that the first two games that the Giants lost with Eli was against Dallas and Buffalo, two very very good teams. Yeah. So I just felt that they should have. And when Eli was playing those first two games, he basically had a very weak receiver core. There was like three receivers out, so they should have at least waited. I think it would have been week four when your one receiver that was on suspension was coming Golden back, Tate. I think it was going to be week four, yeah. where they would have been at full strength, then obviously in that week, and then the following week after that, if Eli was not being productive, then I could see it. But I just think, I, I, this is my opinion, I just think it was a very, very, very poor decision. And it's lucky for the Giants that Eli is a very nice person, basically, because I don't think any other veteran quarterbacks would have put up with what was done to him. So I, I just think it was... I just... I, did, I, didn't, I didn't like it at all, but anyway... It's just Thank you, Dennis. Opinion. That's okay. Appreciate Hi, the Dennis. call. Appreciate the call. It's fair. 201-939-4513. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Enter when the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Line 2, 
Bob in Pennsylvania, and this will be my last call. Then Lance will take it the last 10 minutes on his own. I'm getting pulled out for something oh, else, okay. apparently. Not thrilled about it. Go ahead. <laughs> How are we doing, Bob? Um, yes. I'm, uh, I'm suffering pretty bad, actually, these days. And um, I go back to 1973 when I had season tickets. I've never called for anybody's head. Um, go, and you'd have to go back to Ray Hanley for me. So I, I don't really uh, think that I'm rash in my assessments. But um, our coach is getting coached, outcoached every week. He's he's not he he. If anything, he's a good offensive coordinator. He's not a head coach. And I'd like to say directly to Mr. Mara, if you're out there, we're all pretty upset about this. I think real true. We want a Mike McCarthy type, a real head coach, not a Jason Garrett type. And it has to happen. And I hate to say it, but. I have to root for them to lose the rest of these games because that's the only way I feel it's going to be assured that that uh, that he's going to be removed. And I don't care about even the two wins. It was, it was a good year. I, I like our quarterback. And um, it, I'll look at it as a positive year from that. But Mr. Shermer has to go. I'm sorry. All right, Bob. Thanks for the All call. Right, and I can just tell you, I know you're upset and Giant fans are upset. Every right to be. Season ticket holders. Get it. Every right to be. No one no one should be happy when you're sitting there at, at 2 and 9. No one's arguing you shouldn't be. Um, and I can tell you John Mara's upset about it too. Trust me. Nope. you got to see the looks on his face at half times of these games when they're losing, end the games, getting on the team bus, and he's not happy. I mean, guys, he, this, is what this isn't like a rich guy that bought a team and he has another business. This is what he does. He cares. He's invested. He's standing out there at practice almost every day. Well, he doesn't have league meetings and other duties and stuff like that. So, trust me, he cares an awful lot. So, um, don't worry about that. In term, you know, we're not going to speculate on, on coaches. That's not what we're going to do here. Um, but look, the record's the record. We'll see where the record is at the end of the year, and then the Giants will have to make a decision. That simple. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, they're not going to you know, evaluate things with five games to go like any other team. Most teams in the NFL, you wait till the end of the season and you determine what you want to do. Just real quickly as a side note, and I'm not trying to get into the game of speculation, but, you know, he brings up the last caller that Pat Shermer has an offensive coordinator background. Well, Mike McCarthy comes from the same exact background. Yeah, to me, I okay, actually consider so. McCarthy and Garrett very similar as head coaches. They're kind of like CEO types, you know what I mean? I know McCarthy's more of a play caller. And by the way, guys, just for just just again, we're not speculating about coaches. And McCarthy's not he's a he's not working for anybody right yeah, now. Yeah, he's so a I, free agent. I'll just state a fact about it. Okay, you know where Ben McAdoo got his offense from? Mike McCarthy. That's right. He's that's on his, his staff. That's his mentor. So, not sure you're gonna go back down that path again. Anyway, Lance, you got the last ten minutes. Sounds good. All right, we will let I you take you care of business. All right. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. We'll finish up with a few phone calls as we take you up till the bottom of the hour. Let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. Joe, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening? Uh, do you guys have any Tylenol left or are you done something stronger? And before John goes, they don't see him, him and his family. Well, he's already gone, Joe, so you're going to have to unfortunately deal with me. So I will try to be your Tylenol for the remainder of this phone call. How can I help you? What, what else can uh, we help diagnose? Um, I, I, I was going to bring up what you said there. If uh, he would have blocked uh, J. 
Jenkins, even if he just got in the way and yeah. shuddered him just a, a hair. Correct. The ball just interrupt him in the end zone. So, and another problem that bothered me, well, it just happens. Like I said, we're talking about coaching play. The the throw to Barkley that could have changed the game. Him just catching that little pass there would. Maybe put us right there, at least in field goal position. If we made it, that's another story, you know. You can go over that there. Lance, are we, with with this 16-game schedule and what we have left, uh, you know, I'm sure we're favored to lose them all. If that happens, are we? is this going to be the worst record for the Giants in the 16-game schedule? Well, I actually have the entire archives in front of me. In terms of the 16-game schedule, the worst record that the Giants have had, that is a good question. They were 2-12 and in 1974, but clearly that was a 14-game schedule. And they were 3-11 and in 1976. That was also a 14-game schedule. So in terms of once the 16-game schedule started, it looks like, Three wins was the least amount. They were 312 and 1 in 1983, Joe, to answer your question. And if I'm looking at the numbers correctly, I think three wins was the least amount. And then we're talking about uh, three wins again in uh, 2017 when they were 3 and 13. So I think three is the lowest amount of total wins they've had since the schedule has gone to 16 games. Well,. Uh, if, if we get one more win, I'm just hoping and praying. I'd like to be a spoiler dumping the Eagles there. We have them twice. And I listen to theirs, you know, and they count us and the Dolphins and the Redskins all as victories. That's who they have left, and they have to play uh, uh, Dallas yet, you know. So I'm just looking up at them. But I, I think uh, the one player we left go there, to the running back, to uh, Detroit, he was left go. Uh, what, what's his Perkins? Paul I Perkins, mind yeah. Bringing him back for a look, see, because he could. It, when, when we lose a player, you know, he, he next year he's going to be stronger again. I don't know if anybody picked him up. And he well, came, but I mean, that, Joe, the, the bottom line is right now they got to get Saquon Barkley on the right track. I mean, it, the lack right, of personnel right. is not the issue for the Giants in the running game. It's the productivity, and then behind Barkley you have Wayne Goldman. So you know, worrying about bringing back Paul Perkins, I, I just think in the big picture. Of Things, that's not what's going to solve the issues. They have the personnel. They need to find a way to improve on the execution standpoint. So, you know, getting caught up in, in terms of the running back depth chart, I think, is the least of their worries right now. Okay. A big plus, I was very thankful and thankful to God. Maybe he can finish out the season, Shepard, without any more concussions because, they, you know, his career is on the line there. So, uh, okay. Happy All right, Thanksgiving. Joe. You Go too. Giants. Happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate the phone call. Unfortunately, Golden Tate now dealing with a concussion. Uh, the. You know, bad feature for what the Giants have had to deal with this season is when one guy returns to the lineup, then all of a sudden they've been losing another guy. And, you know, yesterday was the first time they actually had their top three wide receivers in the lineup in Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, and Sterling Shepard. And you'd like to see Daniel Jones have an opportunity to work with that nucleus for the remaining five games. But right now, Tate's status is now up in the air because he's in concussion protocol. So, you know, that just puts more challenges in front of a young quarterback when you're constantly changing the personnel. In terms of, you know, the the outlook for the remainder of the five games, they're not worried about, I can tell you, you know, whether or not this is going to go down as one of the mathematically worst seasons in franchise history. They're worried about right now winning a game. And, you know, the last caller brought up the Philadelphia Eagles. Remember, the Eagles are very much in the thick of things with the Cowboys for first.
first place in the NFC East. So they're going to have a lot riding on those two matchups upcoming with the New York Giants. The Redskins and the Dolphins mathematically don't have much to play for other than, you know, jockeying for position in terms of the draft and finishing strong. So, you know, really, when you look at the remainder of the Giants' schedule, it's a variety of different teams. Some have something to play for, some don't. But I could tell you this, the Giants are not looking at the opponents and saying to themselves what they have on the line, the opponents. They're just looking to try to win football games. And that's the task at hand at this point, to try to stop the bleeding with this seven-game losing streak. Let's head back to the lines. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. What's happening, Len? Oh, wow, Lance. I, I never thought it would get this bad. I mean, this is, you know, 2-9. and nine, uh, Maybe that's the only numbers we need to look at. But, you know, you look at seven in a row. We've lost seven in a row. Only eight times in our history have we lost seven in a row. We've got a 95-year history. I mean, we're looking at as bad as it gets. By the way, the, the most in a row is nine. Um, maybe we beat the Packers and break that streak, then, or maybe we come back the next week and beat the Eagles on Monday night and break that streak. Uh, hard, hard to think they can win one of the next two games. Uh, I mean, when, when you lose seven in a row, I mean, you're a bad team playing badly. I, I mean, okay, so who accumulated the players and why are we playing badly? Why are what we got playing badly? Maybe, you know, three neutral zone infractions. Um, I mean, again, six yards for first down, we run four-yard patterns. Uh, keep a couple of third-down plays. I mean, we're throwing the ball to Scott Simonson. I mean, he just joined the team. Well, Simonson's been uh, it, in it, the, the system, whole, the though, Len. Len, it's it, just... To but me, Len, it's just in disarray. Len, I'm sorry, it, it, no, Go I ahead. was going to say, in fairness, I mean, Scott Simonson, yes, he just came off the street, but he had been with the team last year, and he also was with the team during the course of the preseason. It, it, it's not like somebody else who has no familiarity with the scheme, if that's your point. You know, you're dealing with a player that had known the personnel around him and also knew the scheme and the coaching staff. So they didn't really ask Scott Simonson to do things that he had not been asked to do previously. I was trying to be nice, Lance. Well, but well, you, did you want to throw the ball to Scott Simonson? Well, I mean, you're making it sound like they were throwing to Scott Simonson 15 times yesterday, Len. At least let's put things in perspective. There here. were some there were some key spots in the fourth in the fourth quarter where they were throwing the ball to Simonson. Um, I mean, I, I just Simonson uh, had the ball. I mean, Hold has, on, Len. Len Simonson had one pass thrown his way, and he caught it for 10 yards yesterday. He had one target. Simonson did? Yes. Simonson had one target, and he caught it for 10 yards. So what are we talking about here? Well, th that's a good question. What am I talking about? I, I mean, I, I may be off here on that, Lance. I'm not. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean... A given. Okay. A given. <laughs> and I'm sorry I wasted your time on that, because you, you're, obviously, you're obviously right. you got the numbers in front of you. Um, and, and I apologize. Uh, it, it's um, to everybody listening, too. Um, you know, Lance, do you, I mean, you see growth? Well, growth with respect to what? You know, what are we going down to? If you ask me about individual players, yes. I, I think there's individual players on this roster that have made strides. I think Daniel Jones has made strides. I like what I'm seeing out of Darius Slayton. I referenced earlier in the show, I think Marcus Golden is having a very productive season. So, yeah, if you're asking me based on that, I would give you a number of players who I think have shown development. It unfortunately has not translated much to a team element. 
And that's what counts at the end of the day. But if you're talking about progress, yes, from an individual standpoint, I think there's been progress. From a team standpoint, unfortunately, there's nothing to back that up. It, well, that's for sure. And I don't, um, I, I don't see enough of it to see this getting any better, Lance. When you deal with the individual, uh, I, I don't see it. I mean, this, this team right now, Lance, to me, it isn't, isn't even good enough to win by accident. They're not, they're not even good enough to get lucky to win by accident. And you would think just by accident somebody would break off a run, catch a pass, uh, I mean, do something in a key spot, not miss a field goal. Look at the two things we were looking for. Everybody said, you know, field position is the key against the Bears. We've got to get field position. We've we got to win the turnover battle. Well, both of those things Correct. happened. Yeah. And, well, I mean, it was just, I mean the, the play on the field is just awful. It's, it's getting awful. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to say anything about the coach. We just, you know, let it be. See where we are. Do the analysis at the end of the season. Um, but we're in. We're in record territory for ineptness, and I don't see a terribly bright future. We're, we're going to have to overpay. We're going to have to overpay in free agency. You always do, but hey, you're going to have to do what Jerry did. Jerry overpaid in free agency. You know, we got lucky for that one year. Um, I mean, we're rebuilding the rebuild, Lance. Um, there's no way to look at it and say we're getting better. I, I just, I, I just don't see it. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I want to, I want to give Daniel more of a chance. Um, I'm not negative on the guy. We had to make a change. I'm sorry it happened when it happened. I agree with the other caller. I'm sorry it happened when it happened. But we had to make a change. We Eventually we had to make some kind of change at the quarterback. And we'll just see what happens with Daniel. But, I mean, the rest of it's an array of players. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what Dave has done for us. I mean, we've gotten worse. And it's his team. I mean, these are his players. Um, and and they're not they're not. I mean, they're not even playing as well as they can. You know, I don't want give me, you know, 15 more seconds. And the thing on Barkley, you know, I don't, if the stutter step moves were so great, why, why haven't more people done that, Lance? What do you mean by the stutter step moves? What are you talking about? Well, you, you see him when he's coming up upon a tackle and he's going to do something, and all of a sudden he gets into this hop, step, and jump routine. Um, I, I, you know, we've never seen anybody do anything like that. I mean, the spin moves, yeah, we see Lamar Jackson, players like that, and uh, I mean, I get that, but I, I, he's, something's wrong there. Something's not right, and it's more than just the ankle. Well, and, and, I'm sure that, listen, considering it's a high ankle sprain, and Len, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much yeah. for weighing in. I'm sure that when you Look at the timeline for players that typically return from that injury and how quickly Saquon came back. Do I think he's 100%? No, I don't think he's 100%. Are we still at the point, though, that this is why the Giants are not running the ball effectively? No, I also don't disagree. I don't also don't agree with that sentiment. So I think it's a combination of, you know, not getting Saquon Barkley to the second layer of the defense, which is where you want him to go up against linebackers and safeties because you feel that gives him a better chance to win the one-on-one -on -one battles. That's not happening consistently enough. I think that's one factor. And then, yes, I think maybe another thing you could point to is 
with the holes not opening up, maybe at times he is trying to overcompensate by trying to get happy feet, as I like to call it. I've referred to Eli Manning that way in the past where, you know, you start to hear the pass rushers come just because they're so used to it and they're not necessarily always coming. And it's the same thing with Saquon. The impatience of the holes are not there. I got to do something to make nothing into something, and then all of a sudden you wind up losing yardage as opposed to helping your cause. So I think it's a combination of factors, and even Saquon himself spoke to that point before their last game. He mentioned that, you know, in college he had the tendency of having those happy feet, and he was going more in that direction, and he wanted to get away with that. But, you know, when you don't have the holes and you don't have the opportunities, a guy like Barkley, just think about, you know, what he did as a rookie, and how everything seemed to come so easy, and it was one explosive play after another. Now, all of a sudden, you go from that to it becoming a big struggle. You know, it it can definitely play some games with the mind, and in terms of trying to sometimes dig a little too deep in terms of solving those issues. As with respect to the roster and, you know, what they've constructed, it's a very young roster, and you're relying on young guys to do a lot of the heavy lifting. For example, we talked about the game against the Bears. You know, you're asking Corey Ballantyne to consistently make plays. Julian Love just got really the most amount of defensive snaps than he had in any other previous game. You're asking, you know, DeAndre Baker. You're asking a lot of guys that don't have a lot of NFL experience under their belt to consistently make plays. And when you do that, I don't care what team you are, whether you're the Giants, you're the Bears, you're any other team, you're going to have ups and downs. I think that that's pretty much been well-documented across the NFL landscape. The reason why the Bears are a great defense, they're relying on a lot of veterans on that team, okay? When you look at the opposite sideline, Khalil Mack, Leonard Floyd, okay, Roquan Smith's relatively young, Kyle Fuller, Prince of Mucamara, Eddie Jackson, those guys all have at least four years in the league we're talking about. You know, the Giants do not have that luxury, even if I start tallying the amount of experience up front. So you're really talking about night and day, and it shouldn't surprise you why the Bears perform at one level and the Giants are performing at another level. Let's head back to the phone lines as we look to wrap up shop. We got Big Ed in Maryland. Big Ed, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? What's up, Big John? What's up, Big Lance? What's happening, Big Ed? So what do you got for us? Okay, I'm just going. We're going to do this real simple because we all got to go. You guys got to do stuff. So I'll say this one question. Y'all can answer real simple. Is Daniel Jones doing his job? Simple yes or no. Yeah, I think Daniel Jones is doing his job. Yep, I do too. Is the others doing their job? Yes. So why do we keep losing? Strategy. It's about strategy. And if it's about strategy to execute, because we not, you know, I say because I've been hearing the calls saying poor execution. So I'll say this: I watched the highlights, right? Because I didn't see the game yesterday. So I watched the highlights, right? And it came down to the point where the game going on as it is, and we're doing stuff we need to do to be in it, but he don't take the extra step to do something more. It's like go forward on fourth down when they don't expect you to do it. Like do an onside kick. As soon as you come in off the second half, if you kick it, you know. Yeah, but then if that different. doesn't, yeah, but you Big Ed, I mean? Big Ed, if that doesn't work out, then then all of a sudden you're going to be complaining that it was an unnecessary risk. And for example, you led seven three entering the third quarter, and the Bears got the ball 
to begin with in the third quarter. So if you want to go onside kick, okay, and then you don't recover it, and now you give the Bears great field position, now they ultimately scored a touchdown anyway, you're then going to say it was an unnecessary risk. So to me, it's more of you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't philosophy. And that, to me, I would say is bad strategy because now you're starting to overthink things. And you're doing things yeah. because you don't have confidence in the execution of your team. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's brutal. I don't know, fellas. I mean, we're going to keep trying and to believe that something can change with this. I mean, I'm not looking at it like Daniel Jones and all these other players who have never played in the league. But here's the thing. They play good ball, damn good ball, in preseason. They show to be together. I don't know what took place differently, which obviously is the strategy. And then what happens during the game is almost like counterpunching because we're doing something great individually. This person's playing good. That person's playing good. This person's all right. But then it's like the other things are missing. And then... Well, you're How seeing you're seeing flashes. I, I think with the Giants, right, you, you're, exactly. you're seeing we got flashes and glimpses yeah. of greatness. Of course. Well, and that's what separates the good teams from the middle of the pack teams. The teams that do more than just flash drive in and drive out. That they do it consistently versus the teams that you know flash here or there. Yeah, they stay in games, but then they can't have that final punch that allows them to close out games. And I think that's what the Giants are struggling with. You know, you see big touchdown, you get back into a game, it's 19-14, for example, yesterday, okay, you get the stop, you get the ball back, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can't muster a first down, or, you know, you wind up shooting yourself in the foot with the lack of self-discipline, so, you know, that's what you get out of the Giants, and it's a matter of them overcoming those issues and playing fundamentally sound football, I'm going to let you go on that note, Big Ed, appreciate the phone call, and there's a reason why we continue to talk about the same themes and narratives every single week, because the Giants are are, you know, the oh-so-close team this season where, you know, they're doing things to keep them relevant, but then when the game is on the line, it's been either penalties, a sack allowed, which leads to a fumble, you give up a big special teams play or a defensive score, and it's the backbreaker play. The Khalil Mack play yesterday, you know, that was a backbreaker play because now you gave the Bears the ball at the three-yard line, they score a touchdown, and... All of a sudden, it's a 19-7 game when it was 13-7. So, you know, that unfortunately has been the biggest issue for the Giants. Or, you know, you look at the Chandler Jones plays with the Cardinals, the Trey Flowers plays with the Lions, now the Khalil Mack plays with the Bears. You know, the Giants haven't gotten that type of play from their defense to close out a game whereas the opposition has done that consistently. So, you know, we could sit here till we're blue in the face and talk about all the themes, all the issues it's up to the players to put an end to it and find a way to stop the bleeding. And until that happens, unfortunately, we're going to be dealing with similar themes and similar issues. You know, one other note that I want to bring up before we close out the show, and John and I didn't bring this up earlier, I was doing some calculations. You know, the Giants have 14 takeaways this season, which is not terrible. It puts them pretty much in the middle of the pack in the NFL. And they had two yesterday. They've only scored 27 points off 14 takeaways. Do the math. That's less than two points a takeaway. You've got to be able to capitalize. And if you do something with those takeaways, is that going to guarantee that the Giants have two or three more wins? No, but I'd say it probably puts them in a position to win two to three more games this season. And, you know, until they find a way to take advantage of their opportunities, whether it be field position or, to my point, takeaways, 
you're going to now put more pressure on your defense and more pressure on your offense to play perfect football. And this team, unfortunately, has not positioned itself to put a game together where it's put together that clean, ideal performance where they don't have to worry about a mistake coming back to bite them. That is going to do it for us. Appreciate everybody for tuning in here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. A reminder also with respect to our podcast setup, starting December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will no longer be available in the Giants audio podcast. So you're going to have to subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast. So it's essentially just a separate podcast that you have to subscribe to to continue to follow the show. That's going to go into effect December 1st, but you can already start subscribing to the Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast. You can also continue to watch the show and listen to it here on Giants.com and the Giants app. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running again tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. For John Schmelk, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.